Welcome to the Prenda Family Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Crapo. And the purpose of this podcast is to talk about the components of empowerment in a conversational, inspirational, and real way. And our guest speaker today is Andy Martineau. Andy, we are so grateful to have you on today. Before we begin chatting about our topics of discussion today, I, I would love for you to just give us an introduction about yourself. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk to you guys about all things with kids. So I had six kids in eight years, and what that looked like was pure chaos, especially when they were home all the time. And so I came up to this kind of this, I felt like I was banging my head against the wall because I was using all the tactics, all the skills, all the things that I thought parenting was, and really wasn't working. The rewards had to get bigger. The consequences had to get more severe. It felt like we were just at battle, like battling all day long and at odds. And so that's, there, there's some pivotal points that I'll spare you of all the details, but basically just decided this has got to change. And I went on this big, deep dive of parenting. It kind of became my full-time career. I could say like, it was just an obsession almost. And, and through that found developmental psychology found, I, I got trained to be a yoga teacher. Cause I was, I was thinking if I can just be calm and zen myself out, you know, everything life coach training and all sorts of, all sorts of things and pieced it together and would play around with it and started realizing that connection was where it was at, but not having a clue what that looked like. Cause I thought the options were lots of like be strict, right? Don't let them get away with stuff. Teach them these lessons, your consequences, rewards, or it seemed like the other option was passive, like just give up and let them run wild, like little hooligans and they don't learn any lessons. And I didn't like either one of those options. And I said, there's gotta be something else. So, so yeah, that's, that's, that's me in a very, I don't know, just a random story, I guess, really just describing that, like where I got, cause there's no linear track here. It was not like I went to school and I learned this, this, and this, and I got qualified in this. It's like, I went to the school of being a mom and looked for anybody who had any valid answers that felt like they were based in science and reason and logic and, and played around with my kids until I found something that worked. And so now I call it connective parenting. It's just a relational connection based approach to parenting and then marrying it with mindfulness and mindset and, and some other beautiful things that actually help, help that, you know, actually take from uh, take it from like the good thoughts, like really great in theory to application and to actually implement it. Cause that's the key, right? We have to implement it. And so, yeah, so I work with moms one-on-one -on -one and I have a membership and I just love it. I could do it all day long and great. I still have kids at home. <laughs> so then I'm still a mom too, still trying it out, still figuring it out. So yeah, so fun to be here. So Andy, in your intro, it, it, this is going to lead perfectly into our discussion today, because when you were saying that you as a mom were struggling between this idea of, well, it either has to be completely strict and controlled or it has to be chaos. There's no in between or where is the in between? Where is that balance? Right. We've had a lot of guides come through who have shared with us this same concern as they're learning about this concept of autonomy and, uh, they're also trying to figure out, okay, well, how does autonomy work with boundaries? And we get questions like, well, what if they go wild with this? Or what if they do nothing with this? And it's kind of this, these, these extreme scenarios on either end of the spectrum of what if, what if I give them their autonomy and they just whoo, go crazy with that and I can't rein them back in? Or what if I say, here you go, and they're just bumps on a log, right? Yeah. Um, so maybe we could start our conversation talking a little bit about that and 
that where where the middle part is for you and where where do you bring connection into all of this yeah so good that's exactly what my brain thought i thought there's two options i either discipline or i don't discipline at all it's it's so interesting and then worst case scenario our brains love worst case scenario like if i don't they're going to never learn anything and you know all of these all of these things so i completely get it it's normal i first just want to say it's normal so you know there there's not a lot of examples of what it looks like in the middle in our society. A lot of the things that we think are parenting right now are fairly new innovations, so to speak, of what it looks like to interact with children, but they've been around just long enough that we don't realize that they really aren't the ways that um, historically people, you know, parented their children. And I, um, was just doing some research. I just want to use this as an example because I, I always love like concrete examples. There was a, an author and I'll, I'll find the name so you can put the link to this book. It's not, it's a, it's just, I haven't read the whole thing. So that's my only caveat, but what I've read so far is really good. And this, this woman went around and she started living with tribes or cultures that had not been influenced by our westernized idea of parenting. So she went to Canada into this like Inuit tribe that was really remote and wasn't, hadn't really had the impact of, of the last hundred years as far as parenting goes. And she said, one of the things I found was so interesting is this tribe of, with the children, they just feel, felt like they were immune to meltdowns and they just weren't happening the way they happen in, in, you know, Western society. And she went to talk to one of the elder women in the tribe, like one of the more grandmothery, you know, figureheads in the tribe. And she said, you know, I'm noticing this, like, it's really interesting. Like, what do you do? And she said, you know, when the children's emotions get really high, that is our job as adults to bring our emotions down to more calm. And, and it was, it was like she was just explaining something that was totally common sense. And she said, you know, if they're melting down, they just, they're just in a place where they can't handle something and that's okay. And it's not for, it, it, it's just, it was a totally different approach than what we typically think of, of how to deal with a meltdown. And she said, the result was you had this whole tribe of lots of little kids and they weren't having what we would have, you know, typically thought was a meltdown. And so it just brings up this point of there are so many ways to address big emotions with children or to interpret, you know, what we might say is defiant or difficult or sassy or whatever, right? Stubborn. And um, we think that like, this is the way we have these lenses that we put on that have been passed down for the last about hundred years. And so we just think parenting is I mean, discipline rather is the essence of parenting, but I love just questioning that and saying like, okay, what if there is another way? And what I think this example in this tribe shows us is they're, they're modeling it. They're, they're, they've like, it's so in, intuitive to them they're not like teaching parenting. They're just seeing it modeled from, you know, grandmother to mother to child, and they just learn it intuitively. And basically they're showing the exact same thing that I have found and that developmental psychology has found that neuroscience is proving that really we teach through connection and relationships. And oftentimes the thing that we need to kind of maybe start questioning is what if the, the interpretation I'm having of their behavior 
this tantrum, this meltdown, this pushback, maybe it's not actually what I think it is. Maybe it's just something totally different that I haven't ever considered. And if I just come at it with compassion and empathy and understanding and seek to understand that good old Covey principle, right? Seek first to understand and then to be understood. If we just come in with that there and leave room for the emotions and and I'm covering a lot of things here, but I just want to give like this breath of a, of a, of a scope here is like, there's so much impact and influence we have, and we don't have to engage in the tug of war. We don't have to go right to consequences. It's not that we don't set limits if we need to, but we don't jump to that pole. We first have to like, I think of it as going through the doorway of connection. We have to go through the doorway of connection, connect with them, and then we'll have the clarity to know what to do. But I will say that as we're thinking about this idea that if we don't lay down the law, then they're not going to learn anything. Or if we lift the law, everything's going to go, you know, totally chaotic. There's a general assumption there that children have to have something outside of them to govern them. And that is just an assumption that has been passed down. It's a belief that's been passed down, but it's not, it's not a hard fact. Like it's not a math equation. Like it's not, it's not, it's not the truth. The truth is we are genuinely good and we have a drive to do something, you know, to grow and expand as humans. And if we can go to our children or the children we're working with, with that belief and that energy of like, nothing's gone wrong. They're just not regulating their emotions and that's okay. And I'm going to just, you know, think about it from a, from a very loving, empathetic way Then so often all of these problems that escalate because we go into the tug of war and we're using the external motivators or, you know, you know, trying or trying to take things away so that they don't do it. it. We don't even have to enter that conversation. It's not like, well, if I don't do consequences, what other thing do I have to do from the outside? It's like, well, we don't do consequences off the, like from the get-go because at first we want to go inside. Like what happens if we go inside the child first, then we get complete clarity on what needs to happen. So that was a big answer, but hopefully that starts to get people like a visual of just like getting to the place where we can maybe question our default enough to see that maybe there is another way. And the only reason we don't know what's in the middle is because there just are very, very few examples of what that looks like. That was so comprehensive, Andy. Thank you. You know, as you were speaking, the common question coming to my mind was, this sounds great, but how does this look? Could you give us a concrete example of how you can use connection in your correction? Maybe an example from your experience coaching other parents in this concept? Well, I had somebody ask me recently, I, I did a, um, it was just on a post in Facebook and they were, they said, well, this is a great idea to meet them with empathy and understanding, but what do you do if, and their, their example was, what if you do if they, if, if like they're starting to do something either dangerous or disruptive. And I would guess in the school, you know, in the, in the classrooms or um, in the home settings where they're, you know, when they're there with their kids or if they have other kids there with them as well, that is one of the things it's like, well, this is all great. I want to come with empathy and compassion, but what if they're disrupting everyone else in my classroom or my school or in the, around the kitchen table? Like I can't just, you know, what, what does that look like? Right. Of course I'd have to lay down the law in that situation. And the thing I love is that 
that that isn't the only option, by the way. And there's a way to come with compassion, empathy, and set a limit. So for example, if you were at a table and one of the kids started, like everyone was supposed to be doing an activity, right? And one of the kids just started like chucking things around the room and they were throwing the colored pencils at the other kids. And and it was like, wow, like that's definitely not gonna be okay with that behavior right now, right? The thing that I recommend is like we lean in and we and we look at them and I say we collect them or we connect with them, like we look at them in the eyes. So often we forget this step. We we forget to actually tap into them. We're like saying it from across the room or we're busy with you know washing the dishes or doing something that's not close by and we'll we'll say it to them. But a lot of times with kids and it, kids like 12 and under, I mean, seven is when their prefrontal cortex starts coming on and they start having this higher thinking, but 12, 12 and under, they're like so driven by one emotion. So if they've gotten silly or excited or frustrated or overwhelmed, whatever it is, they're single focused. I call them one emotion drivers. (laughs) So they are just um, they don't have the ability to say like, well, part of me wants to do the study that, you know, she asked me to do, but part of me wants to throw the colored pencils. They're just like, I'm so overwhelmed with these math problems. I have no idea what this is about. I'm just going to start chucking pencils, you know? And so they're all focused on that. And if we say something from across the room, oftentimes they're in their own world. They're, they're not, or if they can't hear us, they might not want to connect. They, they might like just be on this, just they so focus on whatever they want to do that they don't want to hear us. And so if we can remember that, like I, I always say, you can ask twice. I, I like that just come and look at them right from the, from the get-go. I think that's ideal, ideal. But if you are busy with another child or you do have something going on, like realistically try it. If they don't respond, you can do it one more time. And if they don't respond, no more times because they're obviously not you asking five times versus two times, the likelihood of that moving anywhere in a, in a positive way is probably not going to happen. It's just going to get escalated until you yell or get something, you know, something happens that gets their attention. And and then there's a lot of disconnection. So what we want to do is we want to go in and look at them in the eyes and see if they'll actually look at us. Cause if they won't even look at us, cause they're so busy throwing the pencils and they won't. And I, what I say is like, I smile and nod. So see if they'll look at you in the eyes, see if they'll respond with some kind of facial expression. Like, can you get them to smile? Can you get them to laugh? Can you get them to do something with their face to respond to you? And, and then maybe ask them a question and not like, can you hear me? You know, and not in a, like a, you know, grouchy way, like in a, you know, are you, can, can you hear what I'm saying? No. And see if you can get them. If we can get that happening, then now we have a connection. Now we have a working relationship. And if you think about it with an adult, we would never, if an adult didn't respond to us, we wouldn't escalate to yelling. We would assume like, if we were sitting across the table from a friend at lunch and they were like, hey, what's, you know, start talking to them and they don't respond. We wouldn't be like, listen to me. You know, we'd be like, something is wrong. Like we're not like on the same page. Maybe they're distracted by something. Like we would, not bulldoze our way into the relationship, we would definitely navigate that differently. And we don't remember to do that with kids. Sometimes we're just, we just bulldoze our way in. And although you might be able to get their attention and give them an ultimatum of some kind and get them to listen to you, the cost is pretty great. 
because now you have formed a pattern and they have a memory of that and they're feeling maybe a little bit frightened or maybe they're feeling like something's wrong with them because they know they did something wrong. And so it just takes you down a really slippery slope. So I say step one is you have to see and hear them. And if you can't see, if they're not responding to you, there is no further place to go. That is where you, that is where your work is. And it doesn't matter how many times you tell them to stop throwing the pencils. It's not, it's, it's not as important as you figuring out how do I establish a connection with this child? And that might look like you sitting by them if they're so out of control or distracted, or maybe even going to a different room with them if they're so disruptive that they can't handle that. They're not trying to be difficult. There's just something inside of them that they're coming up against that that's not working. And so their nervous system is trying to adapt. They're trying to figure it out, but I promise they're not trying to be difficult. They're not trying to be defiant. They're really just, there's something that, 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 that behavior of them not being able to stop the, stop it or, you know, throwing the pencils or listen to you is just telling you they're not in a place right now where they can follow instructions, where they can listen to you. And instead of trying to, you know, do ultimatums or consequences to get that to override. Like, let's just like get their nervous system settled down and connect with them for a minute and see if we can, you know, pause for a second before we go to step two. I love um, how Dr. Newfield like just says it over and over again. That's one of my favorite mentors in developmental psychology. He's like, really, if, if you can't do that, if you're not having established a working relationship, don't go any further. Like nothing else matters. You know, Andy, as you're saying that, I'm thinking how often we, as the helpful adults and parents in our students' lives, get caught in work mode while we're talking at our children or our students and we're not talking to them. We just get so caught up in marking things off the to-do list. We say things like, okay, and now we're going to do this, and then we're going to do that, followed by this. And we forget, and and this is going to sound so strange as I say it verbally, but but I think we do. We forget that we're talking to people. We forget that we're talking to people who, like us, are craving to feel cared about. We forget to stop and look into their eyes and say, hey, how are you doing today? And by doing that, what they're hearing from us is, I see you, and I care about you, and you matter to me, and you're important. It satiates that need to feel loved that is critical for our students' thinking brain to fully engage. And we do this, like I said, by looking into their eyes, but also by turning our shoulders to them. This is something that I've learned just by practice of trying to connect with my students is so often when I'm talking at my students, I find that I'm trying to multitask them. And so trying to practice this, this way of stopping and turning my shoulders to them is my way of telling them that they are important and that what they have to say is important. Yeah. I think we forget to do that with our kids for some reason. I don't, I think it might be because we feel like we're the leader, we're the adult, we're the responsible one. We have the right to like help them see what they need to do, but this isn't about us doing anything other than just respecting them as a human and really meeting them where they're at. So yeah, it's such a good reminder. I, I was completely guilty of this so many times. And I thought, why do I have to ask 10 times? You know, why does this take so much? And it's just like, if we're, if we're saying that, it's, it has nothing to do with our children. Like the reason we're asking 10 times is because we're trying to bulldoze through the, 
you know, through, through whatever's happening with them. And, and oftentimes it's because we, it's really inconvenient for us, how they're acting. <laughs> like we've, we really are right. Kind of like, this is inconvenient for me to have you throw pencils right now. I need you to just stop right now. Instead of like, what will serve the child the best and what will serve the child the best is to connect with them and to help, to help them navigate whatever's happening inside of them. So I love asking myself that question. Like, is this because it serves me or them? And sometimes it just helps me, like it helps me settle down. And it's not always that my course of action is different. I might still be like, yeah, I need to have them stop throwing pencils, but let me do it from a place of service and compassion and empathy instead of annoyance, frustration. And like, this is really bugging me, you know? So yeah, so that's step one. I, I think like if we do nothing but step one, we would be off to a very good start. Um, really it could almost be, it's, it could almost be like, and we're done. Cause I, cause I feel like if you connect, um, learning happens, impact happens, influence happens within a, in a connected relationship. And if we think about it as adults, like we all have people in our life that are giving us advice all of the time and feedback and the people we listen to, the people we're giving permission to be impactful in our lives are the ones we feel connected to, the ones we respect, the ones we feel seen and heard from. And the people who we are like, you know, thanks for that, but no thanks, you know, kind of, you know, in a nice, beautiful way, I'm sure. But we're not like saying, you know, yeah, I love everything you said. I'll implement all of it. Are the people that we don't feel connected to or the people who we feel sure. like are have, you know, an ulterior motive or, or whatever, right? And so I love just taking that example and like bringing it into the kids. Like they really get to choose us. Like it is really a choice that they have to make to decide that they are going to be open to us giving them feedback and directions. And so this step is huge. So I don't want to rush to step two, but I, because I do want to make sure everybody gets that this is um, just one part of the connective approach as we are responding with connection. So it's kind of the gateway to everything else. If you skip this and go right to setting a limit, which is what we typically do, we go right to setting the limit, giving a consequence, you know, going to the ultimatum or offering the reward. We're missing this key component that changes the energy and the feeling of everything else that follows after it. So once we've established a relationship, we've established the connection, we've collected their eyes smile and nod, we see and hear them, then we can set the limit if we need to. In this example, we would want to set a limit so someone doesn't get hurt by the pencils getting thrown or just, just you know, disru disruptive if everyone's trying to do something. And so what was really cool is a lot of times once you've connected with them, if you have been, and this won't be perfect at first because if you're, if you haven't been connecting, if you have been kind of talking at them, like you said, if you haven't been, taking the time to help them feel safe in your presence, then um, this is gonna take a little bit of, of time. It's kind of like fertilizer on a plant. Like it just takes a little bit of time, it's not instant. But once we get into the habit of doing connection in this way, and there's lots of other you know, proactive ways we can do it that we're not just doing it in a responsive, in, in, like responding to a situation, but we're, we're, in, we're infusing connection all over the place, establishing a relationship, then we can set a limit. Now, when we set a limit, if the attitude is, this is a huge problem and I can't handle this, our energy is going to be very corrective. It's going to be very like, like, you know, we're just going to be on edge and the kids can feel it. I feel like our kids are so smart. They like, don't, we can put on the, I call it a stretchy smile. We can pretend that we're all happy and even do the calm voice, 
but they can feel if there's a little bit, just like we can with other adults, right? You can tell when someone's like genuinely present and, and compassionate and when someone's faking it, you know? And so we want to make sure that we are looking at the behavior through the lens of this is just where they're at. This is what they're doing. And this is just information. I used to think of behavior problems as they're intentionally being defiant. They're they're for sure, you know, pushing back. They know the limits and all of that stuff. And a really beautiful um, quote that I read recently from another developmental psychologist said it so beautifully. She said, what we think is misbehavior is, is oftentimes adaptive behavior. So they're oftentimes in a situation that's not working for them, even though it might not make sense to us. It might not even, they might not even be aware of it. It's not like they're thinking this is not working for me to be here doing math. You know, they just might be tired or overwhelmed or they didn't get enough sure. sleep or somebody said something to them. We have no idea. Right. But to assume like, Hey, this is evidence that just something's not working for them allows us to, and they're trying to adapt. They're trying to cope. They're trying to sort this out, allows us to come in with compassion and empathy and to not assume the worst and instead to just assume the best. Like, this is not a problem. This is just information. And I can use this actually to lean in and make even a deeper connection with them if I can view it that way. So we can set the limit. And then there's a couple, I'd like to think of it as Legos. There's always the collect or see them. I always say like, see and hear them, collect the size. I smile, nod. Sometimes if we need to set a limit, that would be the next step, right? And then there's different things that we can do after like Legos. Like we can put different parts on the end if we need to. And I'll just briefly mention them, but like, I'll actually, I'll just pick one for this example. So let's say that pencils, it is disruptive. It is like there, he's hitting other kids at the table. It's not working. So you would set the limit. And when you set a limit, you, I say five to seven words because that pre prevents us from going into lecture mode or shaming mode. And you just want to be very simple. Like, oh, I can't let you, let's see if I'm going to do five words. I'll probably say like too long. Maybe. Like we can't throw pencils at, you know, we can't, we can't throw the pencils. Like, that's it. Like we want to because of this and because of that. And da, 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 it's like, oh, I can't let you throw those right now. And then we just pause. We just stay with them. Maybe we remove the pencils. We're like, oh, and if he tries to do it again, no, 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 no throwing pencils right now. Right. And we can, we can do different iterations and we stay with him. And if it's not working in the room, like, oh, we've really got to remove him from the room. Then you can just stay with him, like go with him to the other room and like help him. And, and you can just say, we're, you know, it's, it's not about not, no, none of the emphasis wants to be anything's wrong with it. It's just like very cut and dry. Like we're going to go in the other room right now. We're going to take a break. We don't, I can't let you throw pencils. I'm going to walk in the other room with you. Right. And it's just like very neutral language. Now I want to give one other example. If, if it's really bad, you can't get them to calm down. They're still out of control. They're throwing the pencils. It's really disruptive. And so you do, because of this situation, you're teaching five or six kids. You can't really step away with them for very long because you really do need to be attentive to these other kids. Sometimes we do in a way of service, we would want to do this in a beautiful, like, like this is the best thing for them. And for us is maybe we would have them go in a different space for a little bit, because that's just they're just, you know, we can see that like, they're not going to be able to calm down for a little bit, but we want to do it not as you're in trouble. So you got to go sit in the other room. It's like, oh, we do the whole thing where like, can't throw, like you throw pencils, throwing pencils, isn't something we're doing right now. 
oh, I see you're, I know it's really upsetting that we can't throw pencils. I see that you're really frustrated and this is really disappointing because I can tell you really want to throw pencils. Okay, we're going to walk in the other room right now and I'm going to put, I'm going to have you sit on this chair and I'm, because I have to go take care of a couple more things with the other kids. But I, I am so excited and this is the, called the bridge. I'm so excited that in five minutes, we're all going to play this game together, or I'm going to go do this. You put the focus on the next point of connection with that child. So instead of the focus on you're in trouble, you can't, I can't handle you. You're, this is not working. Something's wrong. It's like, you just kindly escort them to the other room really so that their body can have some time. And, and maybe they won't be ready in five minutes. When you go back, that's not a problem. You just kind of give them cause you need to take care of this other stuff because of the circumstances, but your focus is not on the separation that you have to create for a minute. The focus is on the connection that's going to happen in just a few minutes. And they're not losing that. Like they don't lose the, the relationship. You reiterate, like nothing's wrong. You're totally fine. I love you. I'm like, we're so good. You know, we're just going to take a break for a minute, but we're going to play Legos. And, you know, when I come back, I cannot wait, or we're going to have that snack or we're going to go outside. And so those are kind of the different Lego compartment, like little parts that we moving pieces that you can use, um, it, that are very practical, that are very like concrete, you know, that we can actually start doing with our kids, um, in real life. So it's not just theory anymore. So Andy, I was chatting with a guide last week and we were talking about empathy and we were talking about this idea of how empathy is not really talking. It's much, much more listening. And when she came back the next day, she said that she tried it with her son that morning and she excitedly said it works. And she said that her son was just not engaging that morning. He wasn't wanting to get going. And I'm sure as many of you are listening to this, you're thinking, yeah, yeah, that's, that's happened to me before, right? It's happened to us all, right? It's part of our common humanity. So her initial response, again, going back to our common humanity was, you know, shape up. It's time to do conquer, get focused. But she decided instead, because our, our training was in her mind from the night before, she decided instead that she was going to take a deep breath and she was going to first try to connect with him. And so she turned to him, she turned her shoulders to him, she looked into his eyes, and once she felt like she was really seeing him, she said, I see that you're having a hard time with starting Conquer. Can you tell me why this isn't working for you today? And he said, simply, I just didn't get good sleep last night. I just don't feel like, I, I just feel like I need a little bit more time to wake up this morning. And she thought, oh. Well, sure. That's no problem. And so she asked him what time he would like to start. And he said, can I just have like an hour? And she said that that sounded good to her. And the hour came and went and he was ready to engage again. And there was no power struggle and both felt heard and both felt understood. And she said that what would have been a power struggle between her and her student turned into a non-issue when she took the time to see him and understand him. And really, not just see him, but like really see him. And I, I know I'm straining at hairs here, but there's just a difference between I see him and I'm really seeing this student. And Andy, many guides and parents struggle with this idea that doing this first step of connecting takes too much time. But what I like to tell them when I hear that is it's actually an investment. 
Yes, you may have to put forth more time at the beginning, looking into their eyes and listening to them. But what you're doing is you're saving yourself and your student from an hour long high emotion power struggle where nothing productive happens for you and where no learning happens for the student. And so that idea that connection takes too long is just a false assumption. I'm going to say that again because I think it's important. That idea that connection takes too long is just a false assumption. What connection is, is it's really an investment. It just takes a few moments. And while at first it may seem halting and imperfect as you get the hang of how to do it, what you're actually doing is you're preempting contention and struggle that could happen between you and your student. You're saving yourself from a lot of headache, but most importantly, Andy, I I truly believe most importantly, you're satiating your student's need for connection. So to wrap up our conversation today, Andy, this has been so enlightening. This I've really just loved our conversation about connection. To tie this back with this question, this, this ongoing question between, okay, autonomy and boundaries. You're saying, Andy, it's connection. And you're saying that when we can take the time to look into our children's eyes and to connect with them, we'll know where to set those boundaries for them, where they can succeed, where they can enjoy the most freedom that they can enjoy. And if we connect with them each day, we'll know when to widen that and to say, hey, I think you're ready for more, you know, and, and, and maybe you don't even have to say those words. Maybe you can just say, hey, do you want to try this today? Or do you want to lead out? in planning our school week this week. So it's connection. That's, 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 that's profound. Yeah. It's all about, I mean, it makes it really simple in some ways, because it's like, oh, I don't have to think about a special technique or, I mean, there are ways to do it, but really it all boils down to just connection first and everything else will follow. Because when we connect first, like you're saying, we'll know, even though they had we gave them lots of space yesterday because they were really capable of self-governing themselves and staying focused today. We can, we were, we're so present and aware and we see them and we realize, oh, today, not so much, but it's not a punishment, right? We just, because we're so aware and connected, we just bring the boundaries in a little bit that day. And it's not a disappointment that they can't handle more. It's just a beautiful dance that we get to play and we get to see what kind of dance we get to dance today. And every day is a beautiful dance, even though some days we're maybe dancing on a very little floor and that's okay. You know, there's nothing wrong. And I think sometimes we forget to give our kids permission to be humans. You know, they learned this, they know this, we talked about this and we forget that like, just because we know a lot. And we understand a lot. Some days we aren't on our best game either. And we're not doing all the things we know better. And so the connection just is like this North star. It's like the heartbeat of everything. If we start there, everything is just much smoother because we're un- we understand where the pulse is for that day. Is it frenetic? Is it calm? Are they, you know, where, where are they? And, and then we could go from there and it's just this much more empowering. And it's like a gift, right. That we get to give them every day. It's, it's never, we're never disappointed because it's, we're just meeting them exactly where they're at and going from there. So yeah. Andy, 
this conversation with you has been a gift. I'm so grateful that you hopped on. Uh, I hope we can have more conversations like this in the future where you can come on and chat with us about these beautifully important concepts of connection because we for sure all need to be reminded about this. So thank you, Andy, very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I love, love the conversation. And that wraps up our episode this week. Just as a reminder to all of our listeners, the opinions and comments shared in this podcast are not the official opinions and comments of Prenda. The purpose of this podcast is to continue an ongoing conversation about education and empowerment. If you would like to continue this conversation with us in person, join our lunch and chat every Thursday at 12 p.m. Arizona time. Everyone is welcome. And if you can't make the lunch and chat, not a problem. Your voice and opinion still matters to us. Please reach out to us at familyguides.prenda.co to share with us your thoughts about the podcast or to suggest topics for future podcast episodes. We want this podcast to serve you. We look forward to hearing from you. See you next time.